Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Thank you for joining us. We are not on video this week, and there is a, there's a main reason why. I got the Rona. I ain't feeling that hot. I don't look that hot. And my voice, I'm gonna, it's hanging on by a thread, but I have enough gas left in the tank to do this program. Wasn't going to miss another episode of a show that I host this week. So we decided we're just going to do a little roundtable episode, which all in all... These are the most fun shows that we do, as far as I'm concerned, on BTL. And joining me in this magic, Mr. No Gray Area himself, the spiciest of takes from No Bets Bard and many other programs on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network, Mr. Jed Mishu. Look at the setup here. Are we, uh, are we almost ready? We're almost official? We're, we're making our way through it. Um, there's still a lot more, especially in my office space, that I'm going to do, but... We've got the bulk of it, uh, the bulk of it set. So uh, now it's just refining. You, I mean, you know how it is. You're in Command Center 18 or whatever <laughs> it is for you at this point. But also, don't sell yourself short. I will admit, your voice is clearly a little bit strained. But I mean, you've you've been working through the Rona the, this morning. You're there. There was a, a heck of a morning. Just a valiant effort from you. But you look great, buddy. Thanks. I luckily Twitter spaces has mute buttons. Cause if I couldn't find that mute button, this, it would have sounded a lot more awful. I'll, I can tell you that right now. I believe that, but let's get into this thing. Let's talk about more positive things. Let's talk about what we saw this past Saturday. Jamal Hill, Jed Mishu gets the job done. And by the way, I, I want to start with this because this is a comment. You weren't on the post fight show. You luckily had the night off. It ended up being an entertaining card. It overexceeded expectations. Like I compared with it on the post-fight show, this was the Anchorman of UFC cards because you looked at the previews of Anchorman, you're like, this is probably going to be funny, but it's going to be kind of stupid See, at the I, same time. I disagree with you on that. Like I listened to the post-fight show, and I, I fundamentally, you lost me there because... At the time, my cousin, uh, I don't know, I guess I was in high school. My cousin and I could not have been more excited. We were like, <laughs> oh, this is the next Will Ferrell movie. It's obviously going to be the funniest thing we've ever seen because, you know, old school was just an absolute banger and he's Will freaking Ferrell. And we were there with bells on and it still exceeded my expectations, 
but I had very high expectations for Anchorman. Okay. I mean, listen, I think I'm just a few years older than you. So maybe I looked at it through a different lens. True. That is absolutely probably part of that because high school Jed was honestly, it maybe was even like middle school Jed. I was all in. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be, look at that ridiculous mustache. Will Ferrell is about to be an icon. And he was. Yeah. So to me, I was like, this is probably going to be funny. Like, I'm sure I'm going to laugh at it, but like, I wasn't in any rush to go see it. Of course, I went and saw it and I was like, this is the funniest movie ever. And I saw it a bunch more times after. But just heading in, I'm like, I'm going to watch it. It still holds up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It still holds up too, which is, it is still incredibly funny if you go watch it. Right now. It's so dumb, but like brilliantly dumb. And it's great. You want a hot take? Here's oh, a hot go. take for you, Mike. Oh, man. I, and this is not, a, I sincerely believe this. I watch a lot of movies. I genuinely believe Will Ferrell should have been nominated for an Oscar for that performance. What? Be- because <laughs> for one very specific, and this, I, I, I'm dead serious. I mean this to my soul. There is not another person in the world who could have made that movie work. You could put any other actor on planet Earth in that role, and it doesn't work. And that means it's a good performance. Because if, if you are one of one, I feel like you should get recognized for it because that's, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio can do a lot of things. And a lot of things Will Ferrell can't do, but he can't carry Anchorman. Nobody can. It's a one of one performance. And I think he deserved to be recognized as such for it. Well, I mean, if this is if this is the first take of the show, we are in for a doozy. But the before I get to Jamal Hill, because that's the... the what we're going to emphasize here. People were saying on the post-fight show that we in particular owed owed this card an apology because there were a bunch of finishes on the card. Now, this was... I went to Bellator 225 in Bridgeport, Connecticut a few years back. Covered that event. It was not a great card on paper. I believe that was an all... Bridgeport, Connecticut. This wasn't scenic scenic Uncasville, Connecticut. This is like outside of scenic Uncasville, Connecticut. This is Bridgeport, Connecticut. And all finishes. But on paper, the card stunk something awful. Like the whole ride over to Bridgeport, I was like, what does that smell? Oh, it's this card on paper. And they were all finishes. And it's the same thing here. (laughs) Like, can you respond to this? Because you weren't on the post-fight show. Do we owe this card an apology, Jed? No, and I'll never give it one. Look, <laughs> I for a number of reasons. One, I'm not a man who backs down off the hills that he stakes his claims on, so we just start right there. I ain't, I ain't changing. Uh, two, I thought there were going to be a lot of finishing this. I'm looking at my topology picks right now. I had five first-round KOs predicted on this fight card. Now, just in a vacuum, if you if if that's your way to judge a fight, you'd be like, oh, Jed thinks this fight card's going to be decent because he literally thinks half of the fights are going to end in the first round. And I didn't. I was extremely clear that this card was poop and that (laughs) if you have nothing else to do on a Saturday night, sure, watch it. I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. I never am. If this makes you happy, great. God knows it makes me happy. It's why I literally made this a career instead of being an attorney. (laughs) I got... I enjoy fist fights more than most people, but I can also just be honest. And on paper, this card wasn't good. And here's here's the joke. 
it also wasn't good in actuality. <laughs> I don't care that it was 10 for 10 finishes. Let's also note that the two fights dropped off, you know, after we had started poo-pooing the card. And I would have liked the card a lot better. Anyone who listens to this program or any other program on MMAfighting.com, great website, they will know that I frequently say 10 is the magic number. Over 10, it starts getting long. It start, it's just a little too much. But if you got 10 fights, that's going to immediately up my estimation of a fight card. So that that was a big change. Uh, my second point on this being it was still a bad card. Uh, I was watching because I do love fights, and I didn't have anything else to do Saturday. So even though I wasn't working, I had a beer, sat down, watched some fights. Mostly what I watched was commercials, actually, and every 30 minutes, somebody would nuke somebody in the first round, and then I'd get 30 more minutes of commercials or back to the booth and doing all this stuff. That's the other problem when you get a bunch of finishes. Yes, it's dynamic and interesting, but also you're going to get a ton of filler time because that's how they pace these things. So not to say I told you so, but you know, if instead what you as a as a you know calculating viewer of fight sports had been like i'm gonna listen to jed i'm gonna not watch this i'm gonna tune in for the co-main event because that's gonna be a banger guaranteed certified everyone agrees and maybe i'll even stick around for the main event but really what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go about my business i'm gonna hang out on saturday see my friends my family and i'm gonna just check into mmafighting.com just a phenomenal website and they're gonna hit me with all the highlights you could have gotten the same experience with three and a half hours less of commercials. Now, I'm not saying do that for every fight card. And again, I'm not saying that if you enjoyed this fight card, you are wrong because people have different tastes. You could enjoy it. What I am saying is this card was better than expected, but it still wasn't good on paper. And to the ultimate point, did not matter because that's really what we're talking about when, when we're saying a card is good or not on paper some of the fights are not every fight is going to be a massively relevant fight because fight cards are big and not every fight has that and you're hoping for the undercards to have the finishes like we got this past weekend or maybe some relevance or things you've got a new prospect debuting but you don't want a whole card of green beans you need uh, an entree you need this is a whole card of vegetables at best and that's what it turned out being but nothing here outside of the main event and the co-main event which we talked about which other people were higher on the main than i was and everyone universally agreed on the co-main those matter the rest of these fights you are not going to remember a single one of them in three months time and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about if a card's good or bad like Good for uh, good for uh, Muhammad Usman and good for uh, Miller. Winning tough, that is an accomplishment. Even though we bag on it a lot, it is still a thing to done. That is a feather in your cap. That's a promotional tool that will follow them their entire careers now. And they both did it as underdogs. So really good for them in that matter. But like, no one is going to remember this. And that's just how it goes. What we will remember is Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill goes out there. Pretty fun fight with Tiago Santos. Wasn't a great fight, but it was a way more way fun more than fun. I thought it was going to be. Exactly. Exactly. But he goes out there, fourth round. Tiago tried to make it boring. Boy, did he try, but Jamal Hill just wouldn't let him. <laughs> he found the, the, the foil, I guess, to, uh, 
This is Tiago Santos got a little had to be a little more exciting. Jamal Hill sort of brought that out of him. Finally, Santos just kind of ran out of gas. Hill hurt him. He just sort of Santos just sort of collapsed to the ground. Hill just beat him up. Gets the job done. Fourth round TKO. On to bigger and better things. Then he cuts the post fight promo. Has been saying stuff ever since. Your head is shaking. I think you know where I'm going with this. What are we grading Jamal Hill overall for his Saturday night? Oh, that's like a C minus, dude. It was a not a good night for him. Um, I mean, it was a good night that he won, but I don't. I was really sad I wasn't on the post show because I had a lot of thoughts immediately afterwards. Uh, the main one being everybody got really excited to uh, big up Tiago Santos for his great game plan. I it was an awful game plan, and I'll <laughs> I'll believe that until the day I die. Like you're never gonna convince me in a three round fight. That's a good game plan because he probably would have won a three round fight like by doing that. But it was a bad game plan for exactly the reasons we saw. It ended up just gassing him out and made him easy to knock out in the championship rounds because it's much much more difficult to wrestle somebody than to be wrestled, especially if you are not a guy who wrestles. And like, I think I think I said it in our Slack uh, on Fight Night, or maybe it was Twitter, maybe it was both. It's like cool, like this is kind of working for Tiago Santos, except for he he is winning the battles to lose the war. It is the Battle of the Bulge. It is Hitler just throwing all his resources into a failed attempt that is going to ultimately bring down the the Nazi Empire. Like it is. There was no long-term plan of success because he couldn't hold Jamal Hill down because that's not what he does. He didn't get a takedown, and then he could rest the rest of the round on top of him, win the round, accrue damage, and tire him out. He got a takedown. Jamal Hill stuffed his head and stood right back up, and then we just did this whole dance again. Like It was an awful game plan. That being said, Jamal Hill super didn't look that good dealing with an awful game plan, which is concerning given that he has... I think he's going to be certainly in our top 10 next time we do ranking cycle. Um, he's probably going to be in the UFC's top five or near it because I think Tiago Santos was number six in their rankings. And he has title aspirations. And Anthony Smith came on the MMA Hour, tremendous program on uh, on the MMA Fighting Podcast. Not, not on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network, but on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. You should go watch that. Uh, happened yesterday with, with the esteemed Ariel Hawani. And he said... What I think, I think he said some wrong stuff in general, but he did say what I thought was pretty correct of, you know, he, Jamal Hill got taken down a lot by Tiago Santos, who is not a wrestler. And all the guys at the top five, save maybe Yuri Prashka, that might not be what they do, but they're damn good at it. Like Glover Teixeira is a good wrestler. And if he gets you down, he ain't Tiago Santos. You're not stuffing his head and standing back up. You're, you're done there. Jan Blahovic, same damn thing. We saw him do it to Israel Adesanya. Like it is, he is going to need to improve that, and that sh he should have time. But then he comes out and he cuts the bat like a wrong promo. He was never getting a title fight, and he knows that, and he's still trying to do it, even though he very obviously isn't getting one. Like he, he just needed to come out and call. We talked about it before. He needs to come out. He needs to stake his claim for Jan Blahovic. Instead of letting Magomed Ankalaev take that fight, he needs to try and jump to the front of that battle. But he hasn't done it. He's not going to get it at this point. So it's it is that's why I gave it a C minus. It's the lowest passing grade. He passed, but 
just by, because he won, he still gets a passing grade, but I, all of the parts of it left a lot to be desired from me. Yeah, the, the, the post-fight stuff was not great. The, you know, Jan would be a fun fight. Like, you can't say that. Like, come on, that, man. That end quote was dope, It was though. great, but... Like, like it was really good. The whole you could have done that the whole time. You could have like you could have sprinkled in the call out of Jan, or just said that first, yeah. and then and then said Jan, you're next, peace, and just walked away. And yeah, that would have been that perfect. Been a plus, a plus. He didn't even honestly. If he had just not called anybody out, I would that would have been fine as well because I truly don't think it matters that much. I just think I think light heavyweights breaking down that they're running back Yuri Glover. And Jan and Uncle Ive are going to go. And I, I kind of think there's just no two ways about how that's going to shake out right now. So he, he had an outside chance to maybe insert himself. But ultimately, it probably doesn't matter. So if he just comes out and says that one dope quote, drops the mic and walks out, because that quote was awesome. Like, you need to stop talking about experience. Y'all ain't never experienced nothing like me. That is a fire quote. And he it was thrown as an add-on after a bad call-out, which makes it, like, so forgettable. Really tough. Yes. Good win for Jamal. He moves on. Maybe he fights Dominic Reyes. Maybe he fights Dustin Jacoby or Khalil Roundtree. We'll see what you happens know, from I, there. Go ahead. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to give him a C. I'm upgrading him to a C instead of a C- minus because I did not give enough credit to the fact that that he did make Tiago Santos fun, and that deserves at least a half gra- a half point bump, because Tiago <laughs> Santos hasn't been fun in a long time, and as we said, that fight was much more fun than any of us anticipated, certainly than I anticipated. So I'm just giving him a flat C. Before we move on to the rest of the news cycle, if you will, Jeff Neal, good lord, what a performance that was! Did you? Did you see that coming? Because no. I picked, I think I was, I think amongst the the, pe- the panel on the pre-fight show, I was the only one picking Jeff Neal. Uh, I did not expect that kind of performance, but I expected a close, fun decision that Neal would win. Because I just thought, especially at the the line he was at as an underdog, that I thought that the, the fight was much closer than that on paper. Uh, but Jeff Neal just blew the doors off Vicente Luque. How stunned were you by that result? And what did you think of Neal's performance overall? I wasn't stunned, stunned, because I did pick Neal to win. Uh, I didn't think it would look quite as dominant, even though that second round Vicente Luque came back, looked really good, started turning up the pressure. I thought Neal was making some questionable strategic choices there, but in the end it didn't matter. Uh, that fight looked a lot like I... In broad strokes, the concerns I had going into it, which was that Luque is really, really fun and all offense, but he's been getting dinged up a lot. He has fought an absolute murderer's row of killers in this division. And though he's been winning most of them prior to the Bilal fight, he won, you know, five, whatever it was in a row. He'd been taking a lot of shots, and I was just a little concerned that the tread may be off the tires for him. Not an old guy, but I think this is year 13 of his fight career. And as I mentioned, a lot of hard fights, whereas Neil a bit younger in terms of fight mileage in that regard and has mostly avoided wars, you know, like he's in fun fights and he's a good fighter and he's beaten some good guys, but lost to the top. But he has mostly at least not absorbed a ton of damage. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what the fight was, right? Like 
Neil just kind of kept sticking him with that jab, that uh, left hand coming through, and just kept buzzing Luke. I didn't think he would look as good, as crisp as he did, because I think that was the best we've ever seen Jeff Neal look. But uh, it it was awesome, man. And that fight was every bit as fun as we thought it was going to be. Like It was a, a great performance from Neil. I, again, question how he treated that second round because there was a really a world where he was letting Luke back into that fight. But ended up not mattering. Gets, I think, the biggest win of his career by far. And, I mean, Jeff Neal's going to be a top, top 15 fighter in our rankings next cycle, which I don't think, I think maybe one of us had him ranked before I had previously had him ranked a couple months back, but he fell out as some of the other top welterweights had kind of come along. But I mean, that dude, that dude's going to be in everybody's ranking next month. He's now number eight in the UFC rankings. He has jumped Jorge Masvidal. Uh, so that's good. And a lot, I love the Gilbert Burns call out. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Great call out. And he, he a did good the chance exact he gets that opposite fight. of Jamal Hill. Yeah. I think he's a very good chance he gets that fight too, because unless this whole thing with Mazadal in, in the courts, I think he's scheduled back in court end of this month. If this gets settled quickly, maybe we see Mazadal back before the end of the year. But if this trial like becomes a trial trial and extends on for quite some time, I doubt we'll see Mazadal fight this year. And Burns isn't the kind of guy that's just going to sit on the sidelines and be like, no, I'm not going to fight Jeff Neal because I'm going to wait for Maz at all. Burns is he's not cut from that cloth at all. He he is not. Also, let's be honest. Let's let's just be honest. This is good for Gilbert Burns because he gets like, there, there's some steam, there's some heat here. It's a good fight. It makes sense. It's not a bad fight for him from a UFC rankings perspective. But most importantly, you know what it you know what it isn't? Not Chopkot Rachmanov. That's and and there's a real world where the UFC would just be like, well, you just fought Hamzat. Fight this other dude who's an absolute monster. Now Gilbert Burns gets to not do that dance. So it's great all around. Yeah, I feel like Luke is gonna have to do that dance though. I that was apparently so I I stepped in for you uh, on Otno this week, uh, and apparently AK was saying a lot of people felt that that was something that could happen. And I hate that so very, very much. (laughs) I mean, I think it's true. There's a real possibility and it's not, it'll be a fun fight, but like, you know what? Maybe I don't hate it because maybe that just accelerates us getting to where I view Luke at right now, which is, this is premature, but I think Vicente Luque is just a fun fighter now. Like we don't have to pretend that he's a rankings dude or title aspirations. Let's just have him go fight Michelle Pajeda or uh, Robbie Lawler coming off the Brian Barberina loss. Maybe not, but like that's still a really fun fight. You could just do any of those type of fights for him, and I think that that's how I, I – Santiago Ponzinibbio. Like, that's kind of where I'd like Luke to be. So maybe we just do the, the Rachmanov fight. He takes a third L in a row. Great. Now he's in this silo. And we've seen fighters continue to have very good careers being fun fighters and having very lucrative livings being fun fighters. So that was, those are the big stories coming out of UFC Vegas 59. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. 
and Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Before we get to this Saturday, I do want to talk about what has become the biggest one of the biggest stories Dana White's Contender Series. I don't know if you watched the card on Tuesday, Jed. It was uh, not as good as last Tuesday's, but I, I did watch some good performances. But this whole season, the whole season was built around Bo Nichols' fight. And the guy goes out there, just absolutely runs over his opponent. I don't even remember his name at this point, for being honest. 61 seconds, takes him down, takes his back, strangles him. Doesn't even really strangle him. Just kind of just squished his face. Got the tap. Fight's over. Dana does his thing. Goes to fighter one. No, you don't get a contract. I needed to see more. Goes to Clayton Carpenter. Says, great fight. I'm going to give you a chance. Fighter three. Gives him a contract. Fighter four, Jamal Bogues, who's a heavyweight, has a... Pro, not a great performance, if we're being honest, against a freaking welterweight, essentially. A guy who is a welterweight, took five years off, came back as an over-bloated sort of heavyweight, like at 220 pounds, was talking shit the whole fight, jabbing away, gets a decision, gets a contract. And I was like, all right, this is questionable considering the speech you just gave two weeks ago about showing up on Tuesday nights. And then he goes to Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel, what can I say? Yada, yada, yada. We're going to get you another contender series fight and go from there. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up the train a little bit. You're going to give this Bogues guy a contract who clearly didn't have a contract-worthy performance. And then you're going to go to Bo Nickel and you're not going to give him a contract. Now, let me just preface this by saying I am fully aware of what is happening here. I get it. I know what's happening. I spoke... Basically, fucking Bo Nickel broke the news to me who he was fighting when I was in Las Vegas. He said he might have to fight on the Contender Series twice. That's fine. The whole thing is not the concern. It was just the timing of it all, and it, it made Bo Nickel look like a fool because they give Jamal Bogues this contract. 
like Dana White had to sort of talk himself into it. And then he he didn't deserve a contract, in my opinion. And then we go to Bo Nickel, and they're just like, we're going to give you another shot on the Contender Series. It just made him look like kind of a fool. And Bo just kind of gives a thumbs up, like hand, tries to handle it like it's no big deal, nothing off my back. It was just, can we just do the thing, Jed, where for once you could just say like what exactly is happening and not treat the people watching your product like they're a bunch of friggin' four-year-olds? Like, can we just stop with the bullshit and just say, hey, we signed this guy like six months ago. We're not going to play games with you. This is his developmental deal. This guy is signed to the UFC, but we're just going to slow roll him a little bit and we're going to let him come back on the contender series. Like, why do you have to treat us and everybody watching like we're friggin' kids, Jed? What the fuck? Wow. I love the fire. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Here's my take on it, right? Uh, why not just make a developmental league like you could just do that like they clearly clearly the reason they aren't just saying that is because they don't want the contender series viewed as a developmental league for whatever reasons i would guess that it probably has something to do with their obligations to fighters signed to the contender series wherein they don't have it because it's one-offs but i i truly don't know because obviously that is what they're doing. It is, hey, you're just going to take another fight. We're not going to have you develop in the undercards of fight night events. We're going to develop you here as the main event to this thing that we're also trying to get people to tune into. But, like, they could really just turn the Contender Series into, like, an old WEC, right? You just do that, which seems way doper to me, honestly. Like, here, here's our old RFA or, what, like, any of those... It's okay to have a feeder league into into the big leagues. And I know that the world is kind of the UFC's feeder league, but like it feels like it would be it's obviously much more honest and much more genuine way to approach it. And I think it would just be like an a more marketable, easy to sell than the contender series or whatever. Because like how often I uh, basically everyone is that comes into the UFC now came from the contender series or Bellator and they don't talk if they came from Bellator. It's just like we signed Michael Chan Chandler, who was a champion in other organizations or whatever. <laughs> so like if you're not going to use the contender series as a promotional tool to be like, you, they might just talk about it, but it's not like Bruce Buffer says Dana White, Tuesday night contender contender series season six, episode three winner whoever like they just they just say hey this dude and his record whereas instead you could just make the contender series hey this guy it, there's a champion or whatever and you could develop it out as like a real league that's doing functionally the exact same thing as the contender series is because make no mistake ladies and gentlemen if you didn't know let me tell you what the contender series primary purpose is not to develop or scout talent it is to sign cheap talent that they feel well, it's cheap. They really don't care about the rest of it. Theoretically, it's cheap and at least has some potential. But mostly, they can just sign an infinite number of 10 and 10 fighters. That's why Dana White has... I know that apparently earlier this season, he didn't sign someone like anyone off a show or whatever. But they've largely just been given out contracts because they got fight requirements to fill. And they'd rather fill them with 10 and 10 guys doing whatever than paying Phil Davis... 
$95,000 a fight or whatever it is. So the primary purpose is just to get other young talent in. Do it with a, like a real feeder league. Turn the contender series into that. Like that just seems way cooler to me. And then Bo Nickel can get five round championship experience in his fourth fight on the contender series and be like, well, he is now the contender series middleweight champion or whatever. We're going to bring him over. And like, that's just a way cooler way to do it. In my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's just silly. Just stop with the whole, well, I mean, of course you're not going to sign him. He's only two and oh, you signed Danielle Wolf to a UFC, like not a developmental dealer. We're going to bring Danielle Wolf back here. No, that was her pro debut, her first MMA fight on the Contender Series. It was a lackluster performance. You gave her a contract, and now she's going to get the doors blown off her by Norma Dumont. I don't even know when that fight's happening, but it's happening relatively soon. Like, don't say that, oh, he's only 2-0. and There's no way we can sign him. You have signed people coming off the Contender Series, making their pro debuts. What is wrong with you? It's just so stupid. They've also just signed... All like they signed Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond sucks. <laughs> He's just like really not good. And so, like, you just saw they signed that dude basically entirely because he's friends with Izzy. Like, can we, we could just pretend Bo Nichols like super tight with DC or something? Like, who cares? Yeah, with my, I mean, we know. Like, he's been not, like, he fought in Mazadal's promotion. Go look at Mazadal's Twitter over the last couple of weeks. Promoting Bo Nickel. I interviewed oh, yeah. Mazadal in Savannah last week. What are we talking about? We're talking about freaking Bo Nickel. Yeah. yeah. He brought he brought Bo in to train for the Covington thing. He yeah. loves Bo. And he should. Because here's the here's the thing that I don't think fans grapple with enough with regard to Nickel. I am I'll be on the record. I think that he has probably now surpassed Muhammad Makayev in my estimation as the best current prospect in the sport. I think it is not a question to me. Bo Nickel will become a champion, whether it's in the UFC or whether it's a Phil Davis-like champion in Bellator after something happens. I think that it is just a certainty because we are talking about one of the more talented wrestlers to come out of the United States in many years. He is a, a U23 world champion. The only reason he did not make the Olympic team this past cycle is because he wrestles in the same weight class as David Taylor who won the gold medal and is one of the few men who had arguably a better collegiate wrestling career than Bo Nickel did. Like that is just how it goes. And this is a dude who, if he stayed in wrestling, which he did not get pushed out of wrestling, he chose to leave wrestling for the monetary incentives of, of MMA. But if he was just like independently wealthy, if his family was just super loaded and he didn't care at all, and the whole thing he wanted was an Olympic gold medal. He had a better than most shot of getting it. He would almost certainly have won medals on the world stage of wrestling, whether that's world championships or the Olympics. He almost certainly was on a path to medal at some point in his career. Fighters like that don't come into MMA all that often. And when they do, they're usually really damn good. Henry Cejudo, there, there's one example. Like it's just how it goes. He is incredibly athletic. He has a baseline skill set that is probably the most important one to have in MMA. He seems to be really focused on this and have a good preternatural ability towards it. Dude's going to be a champion. And guess what? He could dust up 
a lot of dudes on the MMA middleweight roster, like the UFC middleweight roster, right this moment. I am not saying that means he needs to come to the UFC or that he won't have setbacks or that we, this guy's the best fighter in the world. What I am saying is that's just the nature of the beast. There are anomalies. There are people that exist outside of the normal flow of things. And Bo Nickel is one of them because straight up, if you booked a fight between Bo Nickel and Alex Pajeda, who is about to fight for the middleweight title and who, frankly, I am probably going to pick to become the UFC middleweight champion. I think there is a very real possibility that Bo Nickel just absolutely knuckled dust Alex Pajeda. And that means that this dude could theoretically hold the UFC belt in a year. It's not what's going to happen. It's not how that works. I register that. But what I'm saying is we don't have to pretend like this dude is is stains or that this dude needs a soft touch. He does need a soft touch. The UFC's really bad about that with development. But they signed – you know what? I don't even know why I said all that because all I had to say was to say one thing. There's <laughs> There's one obvious argument to make, and it's just this. They put CM Punk on two freaking pay-per-views or whatever. I don't remember if they were pay-per-views. I think they were like CM Punk, CM freaking Punk. You can't put Bo Nickel on regular fight night cards just against softball competition. It's just it's just obviously stupid. Do that or do this, but just be honest about it. The UFC could just be honest. It's all like, yeah, he's already signed, but instead of having him be the curtain jerker on UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, We'd rather him headline a contender series in three weeks because people might tune in for that. And that's all it is. Yeah. And he's going to be a minus 5,000 favorite. And he's going to win in less than two minutes. And then he'll get a contract. Yeah, it's it's um, like just looking at the current middleweight division. Bo, Bo Nickel is a minus 500 favorite against 50 of these guys in this division Easy. right now. Which is crazy. Like, what are we waiting on? I just, just go. I'm not. I mean, seriously, I just even, go. I mean this with entire sincerity. I, outside of the Pajero one, which is obviously like a very unique corner case, like, I wouldn't feel super bad about picking him against, like, uh, Darren Till's a top 10 middleweight. A hundred, that was right the now. one that, that was the one but I was Darren thinking Till. of. <laughs> it was Darren Till. He beats Darren Till. Like, I think there's. And I'm not saying he should get that fight because you shouldn't. You should let him fight 10 fights against people with middling to nothing records. Don't Aaron Pico this man. He's got too much potential, too much talent. But, like, you don't have to pretend like he's like he's poo. You don't have to be like, <laughs> I'm not sure if he's good enough. He's uh, not enough. Like, no, you just say it. Like, yeah, this dude's going to be awesome because that's the other thing. It's the part that really annoys me. And I know it shouldn't because I've been in this game too long. But like ostensibly your job is a promoter. Your job is to promote. Your job is to get people excited. And you don't have to book him in the way that you talk about him. But you, Dana White, could have gotten on the mic and been like, this dude is unbelievable. Oh, my God. This guy, like three-time national champion, even though low-key, that actually means less than you think it should because like really what you're talking about is Bo Nickel was the U23 national champion which isn't nearly as impressive, like an actual accomplishment in broader sports terms, you know, but like dude was an NCAA champion three times, Dan Hodge trophy winner, uh, mo uh, best pinner in the country two times, absolute stud, you know, 
barely missed out on going to the Olympics. This guy's going to be a future champion. Dude, was so the excited. Penn State Athlete of the Year. At Penn friggin' State, the Athlete of the Year, including football at that friggin' school. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a that's nuts, dude. That's nuts. I, I don't know all the Penn State athletes of the year, but that wouldn't shock. They have they've had so many really dominant wrestlers, and their football team has been mostly bad for a while now. I mean, they're now competent, but they're not you know heydays of the awful parts of their history. Good. So it wouldn't shock me if like somebody like David Taylor or whatever was like the Penn State athlete of the year. I honestly sort of feel like he might have been, but it's. You just Dana White shouldn't have been like, you know, he's just a little too green. He should have just come out and been like, this dude's the, the next guy. We are so excited. We do want to see him test a little. We're going to have him fight on the contender series again because we don't want to rush him too much. But Dana White's the same dude who told us that Uriah Hall was the next second coming because he killed somebody on tough. And who was the that little dude who was the next Anderson Silva? Who lost to Efren Escudero in the finals of Tough? Oh, um, damn it. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I'll, I'll come up with it in a minute. But, like, that dude was the next Anderson Silva. But Bo freaking Nickel is just like, well, we're not sure. We want to see, like, you could just say, this dude is the next dude. He's going to be unbelievable. We're so excited. Tune in in three weeks when he does it again. <laughs> That's how you promote somebody. Yeah. But the UFC can't promote for crap, and it's very annoying. Yeah. It's just dumb. Stop, just stop talking to the fans, to the members of the media, like we're children. Because we know what's happening. People, just say Philip what's Nover. happening. Philip Nover. <laughs> yeah. That's it. There you go. Just, just make... Treat everybody you are promoting as if they are Philip Nover coming off tough. Dana White, you would be way better at your job if you did. Like, way, way better. There you go. I like it. This Saturday, we're out of the apex, Jed. We're going to San Diego. Speaking of Anchorman, we, were not, we won't say exactly what the meaning of San Diego is on this program, uh, but go watch Anchorman and find out old, if you have old, old wooden ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what it meant. That's not what it meant. <laughs> it was, uh, oh, I for, what, what was the old old wooden ship? What, uh, damn it! Not a quality. Um, uh, uh, I, I have no I idea. I have to go back and watch it. But it wasn't with the meaning of San Diego. I can tell you that. Um, but scholars maintain <laughs> that movie is actually way better than movies. <laughs> it's still it aged so well. All yeah. of it is still dumb and hilarious. It's craziness. But uh, Dominic Cruz is about to fight Marlon Chito Vera, Jed Bashu. And I like this main event. It's a very fascinating matchup. Stylistically, I see. We, yeah. I like the matchup. I feel like everybody is overlooking Dominic Cruz here. I feel like this is just the anointing of Chito Vera in a lot of people's eyes. But I feel like this fight is. Uh, is a lot closer than people are giving it credit to. At least I'm looking at the betting lines as it was this morning. Maybe it changed, but Dominic Cruz is a plus 195 underdog. I feel like this is closer than that on paper, and I feel like if Dominic Cruz can just not get knocked out, I think this is a very close fight. Am I crazy? Like, What are your thoughts on this one? I have not had the chance to listen to, to NBB yet. Oh, well, my thoughts on this one are, are many. 
mainly because I don't like Dominic Cruz and I never have, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I don't understand him as a fighter. He like, he, he was so successful that he convinced people that the weird stuff he does is good and not just like the best possible version of a Keith Jardine. Because like that, like, let's be honest. You don't remember, I don't even know if you were like a big fan at the time when everyone was so stoked on Keith Jardine because he was unorthodox. But actually, when they use the word unorthodox, they mostly mean crap. Um, and that's kind of what Dominic Cruz's footwork is. It's unorthodox, but it's mostly like it's effective, but it's very uniquely effective to him. What I said on No Bets Bard is MMA, all sports really, but especially in MMA, uh, things that work get copied a lot and quickly. We saw how the low calf kick went from like one person doing it to everybody doing it. Or that uh, the oblique kick from John Jones had a moment in the sun. Like it's just when something is really effective, people take it up in mass. Ain't nobody done that with Dominic Cruz's footwork. Dominic Cruz's footwork is unique only to him and specifically to how his style works. And if anyone else does it, they'll mostly just get punched in the face because it's actually not a very good thing. Uh, the problem, as I see it, is that Cruz's footwork rely, relies a lot on things that I'm not sure he has anymore. He's about to be 37 years old. He doesn't have working knees. Well, he does now, but he's blown them out like a hundred times. It's very difficult for old men who've had multiple knee surgeries to still have the same sort of explosion and movement that they once did. Uh, he's also getting old, and his his style relies a lot on his ability to react to Pull, because his arms are down by his waist, he's got to be able to get his head moving and reacting in, in time. Uh, and more importantly, he really needs takedowns for it to work. Like, he maybe doesn't need them, but he at least needs a realistic threat of them existing to open up, to make everybody slow and take a half step, to not just do what Cody Garbrandt did to him, which was, oh, you don't have your hands by your head, and every time you step in, I'm going to punch you in the face. And, like, that's really all Cody Garbrandt did is he fundamentally boxed him. And Dominic Cruz had absolutely no answer for someone with fundamental boxing. And I'm not saying that Cheeto Vera is great in that regard, but he's decent. He's young, super athletic. Uh, and I'm not sure that he has to, even though Cheeto's not a great, like, defensive wrestler, I'm not sure he has to be concerned about it because Dominic Cruz doesn't have knees at work anymore. Like, I said it on No Bets Bard. He scored, I think, two takedowns uh, since his return against Henry So If we're saying that he took four years off, basically, from Garbrandt to Cejudo, so since that, he has scored, like I think, two takedowns in his, in his three fights on, like, 20-some-odd attempts because he's just he doesn't have the same tools to do it anymore. I personally thought his performances against Casey Kenny and Pedro Munoz made it very clear to me Yes, he got the win. He is not anywhere close to what he was at his apex. And that's okay. That's what 37-year-old men are. They're not as good as they once were. I think against Chito Vera, that's a problem. So maybe because he is unorthodox and tricky, he might, I think he's go especially early, may give Cheeto some time to adjust and some issues there. But I, I'm picking Cheeto to win a, a leg kick heavy decision, probably. And where does Cheeto like? What happens for? Because you have to think both guys get us. There's stakes here. Whoever wins this fight is going to get a little bit of a push. And we got Jose Aldo fighting Marab next Saturday at UFC 278. So you have to think 
depending on what happens there and what happens in the title fight between Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw in October, that will kind of determine where we go from here. Unless, I don't know, man, because now you got O'Malley and Jan too. So let's just say Jose Aldo, let's take Saturday out of the question. Let's say Jose Aldo beats beats Marab to Wallace Willie, which I think he's going to do. I think he's going to win. It looks like a nightmare matchup like when you look at the posters, but if you actually break the fight down and you look at it skill for skill, I think Jose Aldo should win this fight. I think he should beat Marab. So Jose wins. You would think he's next for the belt no matter what. But if Sean O'Malley not, beats... Not no matter what. Yeah, but if Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan, could be a whole other situation. So what is like what is really at stake for Saturday's main event here? Cheeto Vera, you think he's kind of close to a title fight. Dominic Cruz, you know the relationship he has with the UFC. There's a chance maybe he gets pushed a little bit quicker. What is actually at stake here? What's at stake is that if Dominic Cruz wins, he's going to just be insufferable. And so that's the biggest <laughs> thing at stake is we all need to collectively pull for Cheeto to win because Dominic Cruz will just be awful. Um, and that's <laughs> not any – he'll just – because he'll come out and he'll be like, I want a title fight. I've won three in a row. Give me a title fight. And he might get it, which is awful because he doesn't in any way deserve a title fight. It's just not – What's actually should be at stake is the winner of this is going to fight the odd man out of the title picture is basically what's going to happen. But if Cheeto wins, Cheeto's way cooler and will just be way cooler about it. Whereas if Dom wins, he's going to be insufferable until he does get booked in a title eliminator against either Jose Aldo or the winner of Jan uh, O'Malley. If Sean O'Malley knocks out Piotr Jan or just beats Piotr Jan, he's getting the next title fight. That's just all there is to it. I don't think anyone can really dispute that if you have eyes and a brain that work in your head. Like, he is just going to get the title fight. If he doesn't, if Piotr Jan wins and Jose Aldo beats Marab Devalashvili, Jose Aldo is going to get it because Jan, especially if Aljo beats Sterling, because they're not going to run that fight back that quickly. So in, in that kind of scenario, then you've just got Jan facing the winner of Vera Cruz, um, which I think is probably likely because I, I think Piotr Jan probably beat Sean O'Malley, though I think that fight's a lot closer than most people suspect it is. If Marab wins, then it's up in the air because if Marab beats Aldo and Jan beats uh, O'Malley, then it will depend on how the title fight goes because if Aljo loses, if, if Dillashaw wins, then Marab probably gets the title fight over Jan. But I'm not just because I think that's more palatable, but I'm not even certain of that, frankly. Uh, so the answer is whoever doesn't get the title fight out of uh, Sean O'Malley or Aldo Marab, they're just going to end up fighting Cheeto in a number one contenders match, which I think makes sense. It's a little unfortunate for Cheeto, especially in this scenario, but that's just I, I think that's how it will go. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. Unless, so. dear God, please don't let the UFC 280 co-main end in like a no contest or a draw, because then that's just gonna bundle up 135 forever. And there are a lot of guys who deserve title fights or are on the cusp. And I'd love to see those fights happen, but if there's like a draw, then then we're just gonna be waiting forever for for a new contender. 
That's the main event. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time on the rest of the card, but we'll play this. True or false? On paper, this card is better than last week's card. Ooh, that is interesting. On paper, you say? On paper. I think the answer is yes. It's tough, though, isn't it? Like when you really look at it, it's t- it's tough. It's very close. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna I'm gonna say no for the very specific reason that all due respect to your best friend Alexander Cayley, who is a great writer at a great website. <laughs> Nobody cares at all about tough and the one of the selling points, quote unquote, for last week's card were the tough finales. So I think by virtue of that, no, but like Vera Cruz is up there with Neil Luque as far as a fun, good, interesting, competitive bout. I think the Santos-Jamal Hill fight on paper is more relevant than anything else that's going on in this card, obviously. But you do have Angela Hill, Lupe Godinez. I think that's a pretty fun fight. You do have Calvillo Nunes, uh, Nunes, which is... Probably not a fun fight, but that's a fight that has some relevance despite both of their losing streaks. Uh, Ode Osborne and Tyson Nam is going to rule. Um, and, you know, it's always fun to watch Gerald Mearshart get knocked out. So that's that's also something that's happening on this card. Oh, Gabriel Benitez, Charlie Ontiveros, is, that's going to be an absolute banger too. So, like, I think on paper this one edges it out. Um uh, it's sir here. If if we're going with on paper, if we had done this show last week and asked this question, I would have said this one at this time. I maybe when last week's dropped to ten fights, I might have said that that's a better on paper because ten fights really makes a huge difference. Then we got thirteen looks like here. A lot of fights. A lot of fights. But we get a four p.m. prelim and a seven p.m. main card. And that makes all the difference in the world to me. That is that is better. Though I do think it's interesting that two of the fights on this 13-fight card were actually supposed to happen last week. So, you know, uh, maybe we'll just keep kicking the can perpetually down the road. It's crazy. And then they moved up Angela Hill, Lupe Godin as two months to fill this one up. Yeah, and uh turns out they didn't need to do that. <laughs> no, they didn't need to do that. I'm not complaining that they did that because I, I like the fight a lot. One, two of the, one of the better fights in the card. Yeah, two of the gamiest of gamers. Uh, so I dig that quite a bit. I like the fact that there's going to be a freaking crowd there, so that'll make things a little less boring yeah. and less vanilla. We're going to be eating some mint Love chocolate that. chip, which I like. So, yeah. But plus, we've got a battle of the Yasmins. Yes, Naming rights battles are among my favorite stupid gimmicks in MMA. Yasmin Uruguay is a killer. I'm she very excited. She has looked really good at like combate <laughs> and whatever. Um, also, only 23, though, uh, and on No Bets Bar, we talked about this fight because I have a bet down in Uruguay, but Yasmin Lucindo is 20 years old and has been fighting professionally for five years. Yeah, she's a badass too. That's just That's just really cool, even if I'm not sure she's very good, but... That's that's some gangster stuff. Yes. So it's it's actually not a. I'm I'm higher on this one. I think the earlier start time definitely puts it over the. That, that gives you like two points right there. It it has enough incremental value, but like the big issue is you can't run Nate Landwehr uh, in, in the co-main event. Like you just got to put something better in the co-main. 
if this had something with more cachet in the co-main, then I think this would unequivocally be better. Yeah, I think that the co-main was supposed to be Aspen Lad, Sarah McMahon, but that one got pushed uh, back to... Uh, I'm not sure that that makes it better. <laughs> oh, Alexa Grasso, uh, Vivia Araujo was supposed to be the co-main. Oh, that's a that's way right. that's that right. this would be unquestionably better if that was the deal. Yep. Grasso withdrew. That one's going down in October now. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's why. All right. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. So let's let's just have a little potpourri round because there's a lot of stuff that has been happening, a lot of stuff we haven't been able to talk about. Uh, the PFL is back this weekend. That card is a freaking disaster right now. We're getting people getting subbed out. Guys who are probably going to win the whole damn thing are no longer fighting. Juan Adams is in. There's so much clustering going on. I, I don't. I haven't even been able to keep track of it. Uh, so the PFL is happening in Wales, I believe. Bellator 284 is happening this weekend as well. Oh, that's there you go. Cardiff, Wales. So if you could only watch one, are you watching Bellator or are you watching PFL? Oh, that is. Well, let me see because I know that the PFL has made some changes in the last like hour. Yeah, it's so it's a mess. It's a disaster. Um, Oh, are we doing the dumb post limb thing again? That's exciting. <laughs> Love dumb post limbs as a person who worked PFL last week. Um, okay, Juan Adams, who I'm. If you had to have one guy drop out, I mean, I I know that Dennis Galtsov would have been, I guess, cooler, but uh, Juan Adams is coming off a uh, really solid performance uh, in his PFL debut and. You know, at least good for him in that regard. Uh, this PFL card's not good, though. I'm trying. I'm trying to find something here. Uh, I don't want to have to watch Roy McDonald fight in the year of our Lord 2022 because it it's just not very entertaining. Um, yeah, this this fight card's bad. Um, it's not going to be that. Let's take a look at old Bellator, just <laughs> on the fly. Uh, oh, it's obviously Bellator. I don't even know why I had to think about this. Tall Steve. Tall Steve Maui is fighting. If you've listened to Novet's Bart this week, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm all in on Tall Steve Maui. Uh, he's fighting Valentin Moldovsky, former interim heavyweight champion for Bellator. Moldovsky is probably going to win because he's probably a better fighter. But he's like the worst kind of solid heavyweight in that he's good but boring. Um, this is a dude who... He doesn't have a lot of fights in his career, but a vast majority of his wins have come by unanimous decision. Like that's even on the re I say regional scene because he, he came in to MMA and rise. And so it's less regional, but like he mostly is just one decisions because he's not that interesting. And he had the temerity to lose to Ryan freaking Bader in 2022. So 
that's you're never gonna make it on my on my good list if you're losing to Ryan Bader. But tall Steve, buddy, he's fighting out of uh, what's Sanford's name now? Killcliffe. Killcliffe FC. Yeah, uh, uh, Killcliffe. He's a BJJ black belt. Uh, had his black belt given to him by Gilbert Burns, who, you know, pretty good at the whole grappling thing. What with being a world champion at it, uh, he is ten and zero. He is eight feet tall. I think he's actually six eight or six nine, but he is huge. He is relatively young at thirty years old for heavyweight, and most importantly, he is finishing people. Look at his career: hundred percent finishing rate. I believe nine out of 10 fights, sorry, eight out of 10 fights, looking at it now, finished in the first round. This dude is taking you down. He's choking you out. He's grabbing up an arm. He's kneeing you in the face. He's doing a bunch of fun things. He's doing what you want to see from a developing prospect. Again, he's 30 years old, but that's a prospect at heavyweight. So for that alone, I am excited to watch Steve. Tall Steve, that's the other my my i think favorite part of him is his instagram handle is tall steve fights people it's an unbelievable name for a six eight dude who's a professional fighter that's so, yeah there you go so g- give me bellator 284 and tall steve fights people this <laughs> is best <laughs> of course neiman gracie goichi yamauchi is the main event of that card uh alimale oh, mcfarlane yeah, who massively missed weight earlier today Man. Fights what a, Bruta what Ellen. A tough turn for her, man. Huh? To fall from grace for sure. Uh, also, Austin Vanderford, who just fought for a title, is now not even is he's opening the main card. Tough, tough scene. Yeah, and he's fighting Aaron Jeffrey. That's not an easy fight. That's a tough yeah. sub substitution for Anthony Adams. Uh, of oh man, I, f- I forgot we were getting the rematch nobody asked for. Deanna Bennett and Justine Keish. Uh Sullivan Colley coming off the big win over Big Tuna gets the prelim treatment against Tyson Jeffries. Uh, we mentioned wrestlers having success in MMA, guys with tremendous wrestling pedigrees and resumes. Talked about Bo Nickel, Pat Downey, another guy uh, may not have the best relationship with the wrestling world. Uh, he will be making his finally MMA debut against Kaze Nelson, uh, who's zero and three. So there you go, and yeah, so that that card's happening. It's not bad. It's not great. It's better than PFL, but uh, it's a it's a tough one. If we're being honest, I mean, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's not the best, but um, there's at least enough things here. The main card is at least interesting enough from Bellator. The undercard is mostly bad. Um, but that is also kind of... I will say this is one of the one of Bellator's less good offerings of late because we've mentioned it. I don't know if we've mentioned it publicly. We've certainly talked about it privately. Bellator's not doing as much as they used to. And that has honestly been great as far as their card quality because it's not like they have a huge roster of fighters they can turn out. So their cards have largely been way better than they were all of 2020 or 2019 or whatever. It's just, you know, they're just doing less of them and they're condensing their talent more. So this is one of those where a little less of that. we got a little less of that going on, but at least the top end of it's still pretty good. Yeah, we got Pitbull, Pitbull brother title fights on the book on the books now. We have oh. Patricio fighting 
defending his title against Adam Boric on the same card that AJ McKee is fighting on, who's moving up to 155 to fight Spike Carlisle. We just found out Aaron Pico, Jeremy Kennedy's on that card as well. That card is a lot going on in it. That's a fun one. That's really definitely a fun one. Card. And then the Patricky, and then we just found out in November, Patricky Pitbull is going to defend his title against Usman Nurmagomedov, which I love. Love, so excited. love that idea. And I'm going to say it right here. I'm not going to try to be a dope. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Usman Nurmagomedov will be the Bellator lightweight champion by the end of the year. By uh, yeah. November 14th by, or 15th. By, the, card's by the day he fights Patricky, yeah. Yes, and he puts him uh, away. Yes. He is in, Usman's in, the truth, dude. An unnamed uh, member of the MMA Fighting Great website team uh, reached out to me a few hours ago when that fight was announced uh, with the sole question of, do you think there's any chance that uh, Usman opens up as an underdog to Patricky? To which I laughed heartily. I was like, "There's, there's zero chance." He's, and this, this unnamed member was like, "But, but maybe they'll, they'll get confused and think that it's Patricio Pitbull." And I was like, "They won't." But that also won't even work because his name is Usman Nurmagomedov. Like that's, there's just he's going to open as a minus four hundred favorite, and I'm going to hammer that line. <laughs> like, he's going to just roll right on over Patricky and get the belt that's good because he is probably the best lightweight uh, in Bellator, except for maybe A.J. McKee. Excited to see what he's going to look like at 155 pounds. I love it very much. I like the idea. Speaking of Bellator, even though she's kind of technically a free agent, Chris Cyborg. Chris Cyborg is boxing against somebody I've never heard of uh, on a card that I've never heard of a poster that looks exactly like a UFC fight card poster and so good. Do you, do you mean, do you mean that it's really good? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's tremendous. And then, uh, <laughs> Kayla Harrison obviously had some things to say about this and both women were on the MMA hour. And of course, PFL is coming out say we'll do a million here and a million here. And the winner gets 2 million PFL just likes to like say things, even though they don't mean a whole lot I, because I support that strategy. Just saying things? Yeah, I do it all the time. So I'm I'm pro just saying stuff. Right. But here's here's the difference though. Like let's just say you could say things and then somebody else who actually makes those decisions is like, hey, if you want this to happen, here's what you have to do. If you just do this, we might be able to do it. And then you just refuse you just keep saying things and refuse to do what the person who actually makes a decision or else could help guide the decision in the right way is telling you to do. Because Bellator keeps saying, Hey, if you want to do this, like we're not against it, but like pick up the phone and call us and like we'll sit down, we'll have a meeting like professionals and do this. And PFL just takes that as, oh, you know what? They're scared. They don't want to do it. We're just going to tag you and call you out on social media and do things completely unprofessionally. So I hate the way the PFL has handled this from Jump Street. They continue to handle it poorly. And it makes Kayla look bad because she's just the fighter. She wants the fight. She's saying the right things. And she looks bad because PFL is just doing this completely wrong, in my opinion. So your thoughts on this? Do we do you like do you have any confidence we're going to see this fight between Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison happen anytime soon? Because I don't. I'd love to see it. I want to see it. I just have zero faith it happens anytime soon. 
Soon? No. Uh, this is really interesting because I have a very different read on this where I am not in love with how PFL's handled stuff. Um, but I think theirs is really obvious to me in that they believe Chris Cyborg is a free agent and so or very near it. And so they're not trying to negotiate against themselves by roping in Bellator. They want to get it all on their own. And they think that they can theoretically pull Chris Cyborg in. The way they're going about it, maybe that's not the best. Also, Chris Cyborg's free agency status, debatable, um, especially because it does seem like she wants to go back with, with stay with Stock, Scott Coker. So I think that in the long term, PFL will pivot into doing a co-promotion because I think that's probably Cyborg is probably eventually going to re-sign with Bellator, and that's how it will go. I have found Chris Cyborg to be handling this substantially worse than just about anybody as far as the optics go. I want to be extremely, extremely clear about what I'm saying here. Chris Cyborg is not afraid to fight Kayla Harrison. She's just not. Like, I mostly don't think fighters are ever afraid to fight other fighters. They're professional fist fighters. Like, if I'm not afraid to get in fights with people who will kick my ass, I really doubt that someone whose literal job and who is way, way better at fighting is probably not afraid to get in fights with somebody like that just doesn't seem like that's a real thing because it's not. If you've ever talked to any fighter outside like in any sort of a social setting, they're just not afraid of fighting people. So she's not afraid. Like she's not, not taking this cause she's afraid of it, but everything she has said publicly is really bad in that it all lends a, what some people might call idiot MMA fans, but what I will just call is the broader MMA fan base who don't think critically and like uh, about this sort of stuff and they're not deeply invested or ingrained in the way that you and I are. They're just looking at it and every action she has taken really, really lends to the narrative that she doesn't want to fight Kayla Harrison. She's afraid of fighting Kayla Harrison. And again, while that that matters. I genuinely feel that public perception, especially if your goal, your job is to be a marketable fighter, that matters. And so I don't have any issues with her move, taking a boxing fight. I think there's there are legitimate critiques to what boxing match she is taking, which Kayla Harrison kind of noted. Um, she's fighting a 39-year-old woman who has a losing record in professional boxing and that's still she has a an extensive professional boxing record, but that's it's not maybe not the best optic for that to be the professional boxing bout you take for your first one. Um, in a vacuum, you could say, well, she has zero experience, but that's not really how these things work. But uh, it's just like her. She should she can't come out and say stuff, at least not in the manner of just like, I don't really care if I ever fight Kayla Harrison. Or like, I'm at peace if we never fight. Like, sure, if she wants to come to Bellator, we'll fight or whatever. Like, that's – she didn't have to say a ton, and she doesn't – but she she needs to go one way or the other on it. She can't be like, I am the the triple crown or quad champion of whatever, and I want to beat all the best people, and if she's the best person, great, let's do it, blah, 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 and then just be like, well, I don't really care. You got to either just be like, I she needs me, I don't need her. That's just it. Like I'm, I'm already set. I don't need her. She, she chose not to come to Bellator. She can figure it out and come settle this up with me. I don't need her. Don't care. I'm not going to talk about her. I'm not going to give her that shine. Or 
she could say the thing that I think she actually believes in her heart that is way better and more obvious of, yeah, this is a one-fight boxing thing. I've still got to figure out my MMA stuff. I'm going to do that at some point. And me and Kayla Harrison are going to fight. If every interview she said, she stopped saying, I don't care if we ever fight, and just said, me and Kayla are going to fight at some point. That's it. That's all she has to do. Because it probably is true. I think it's what she actively wants to do at some point. But she's like, I want to box. And right now, Kayla's with the PFL, and I am still dealing. I, I want to re-sign with Bellator, and we're going to have to figure that out down the road. I'm not going to go chase them for one thing over there because this is what I want. And I'm just doing this boxing thing. But we're going to fight. If she just reinforced that every time instead of being like, I don't really care, then she won't have this perception that is growing that is, well, she doesn't want to fight Kayla Harrison for one reason or another. And it's, I think she's just handled the optics of this really, really poorly. Um, and then the PFL is making it look worse, obviously, by throwing out these big numbers. And then she keeps, she's coming at the PFL, and that's like where she really looks bad when she's like, downplaying Kayla Harrison or doing public contract negotiation or doing contract negotiation sort of statements in public where the PFL tweeted that offer that you mentioned. I, I don't remember what was it, Mike? Like, it's like a million, million each, but it's $2 million to the winner or something. Yeah. And, and you've got Kayla at the same time doing the, uh, you know, I, I don't, you can, if you win, you can take my whole win bonus. And like, in the in the battlefield of optics, Kayla Harrison is clearly winning because she is the one acting like she wants to fight, and that like that's really all optics is is just acting like you want it, even if behind the scenes you're not pushing for it or the other things are at play in taking it. It is just the perception that you are doing, that you are actively taking pro like possible positive steps towards making this uh, accomplished, and. At the bare minimum, Cyborg is is giving off the vibe that she is not t caring to do so, and in some ways is really coming off as if she's actively like moving away from this fight, and so she's losing the optics battle. Kayla Harrison gets to go on, and some of this, I will say, some of this might simply have to do with English isn't her first language, and so maybe there's a barrier there that's that's creating friction in this regard. But she got people around her. She's got people on her uh, social media, but coming out and being like, well, PFL, you guys are offering us this money, but why, why are we doing 50, 50 fight purse? What based on what Kayla Harrison's own manager says she doesn't draw pay-per-views and nobody, you can't come out and say, nobody gives a shit about this fight, which is basically what she said to a lot of the criticism. Certainly to, nobody, Kayla Harrison, you're not a draw. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about this fight. Nobody cares about you. Why do you get all this money? When very clearly, it is the only fight anybody gives two shits about as far as Chris Cyborg is concerned. Or Kayla Harrison. Not saying that Kayla is drawing them in herself, but nobody cares if Kayla Harris, if, if Chris Cyborg goes and boxes this woman. Nobody cares if Chris Cyborg fights Katz and Ganu. They care if those two fight each other, and that's it. And so you can't pretend like Kayla Harrison isn't a draw and this fight doesn't matter and it's not big when it's the only fight you get asked about. Like That's just not how this works. So she's getting killed in the optics as far as I'm concerned. No, I, I, get, I get where you're coming from. There's just so much uncertainty about PFL when it comes to this pay-per-view stuff. They're, oh, yeah. It's, I mean, they're going to take a bath on it, for sure. They're going to get killed. Well, and they're talking but, about 50. And you know what's great money? about it? But, but here's the thing. The check clears. Yeah, right. But we don't know if like the million means you're going to get a million up front plus the pay-per-view numbers because 
They're going out saying, hey, we are we are flipping pay-per-view on its ear, baby, because we're giving the fighters 50% of the revenue. If 50 per, like if you sell three pay-per-views, zero zero. Yeah. If you sell three pay-per-views, here, here's here's a lar- here's a venti coffee from Starbucks, bro. Congratulations. Way to sell. Like who is going to spend $50 to watch this fight? Serious question: How many how many pay per view buys do you think PFL could get for a hit, for a Cyborg Harrison pay per view? Let's oh. say they don't price it at fifty. Let's say they do the reasonable price point of twenty five bucks. One hundred twenty five thousand. At best, take, I think I'd take the over. Yeah, it's not. It's less than two hundred. They're doing less than two hundred. Oh, I think I think they could do two fifty. Oh, I don't I know, really, man. I really do not because because I think. I think they would give it just the full court press of because they should and they're not on a stupid network like Bellator is so it might actually work they're on ESPN plus like which is already a thing that people who watch fights have and pay pay-per-views on and I think if they put it at a competitive price point because Kayla Harrison will get in front of everybody you she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist you could put her on any any talk show in the world and the PFL could do it and Chris Cyborg is a star and they could, I think they could put enough promotion that that thing could sell 250,000 pay per view buys. What's the rest of the card? I mean, it's, it depends on what the rest of shit. I don't well, know, what, man. I think you need more. I think you need more. running out Nate Diaz and Hamzat Shemaev and 12 boxes of turds. Like it does, that fight card is. UFC 279 is the worst fight card. I'm not even joking. I think it might be the worst pay per view fight card. In, in a decade. It's like, going it to do, do 800,000 buys. Yeah, because the only thing that people buy is the main event. It's really the only thing that people buy. And I think at 25 bucks, you can sell Harrison Cyborg. If you give that a full court promotional press, I think you can sell a quarter million pay-per-views. Kayla Harrison's going to have to slap Chris Cyborg across the face during one of these press conferences. Yeah. Like that. that. If that happens, maybe you get your 250. I think I I just think I'm PFL excited. is not Whenever great happens, at their jobs. They're not great at their jobs. No, they're not because everyone who promotes fights is bad at it apparently, which is very weird. You'd think that they'd be better at it, but <laughs> eh, so it goes. I think I'm not saying it would because I don't know how they would promote it, but if I if I had the pen, if I was in charge, I would say I think our target, I think an achievable target for us, maybe maybe a slightly ambitious but an achievable target is 250,000 pay-per-view buys at a $25 price point. That'd be a massive success. I mean, isn't it other so world, that other worldly success? Yeah. Because like Demetrius Johnson was pulling 200,000 pay-per-view buys with the UFC actively saying he sucked. Like how did, how weird this sport is. It'd be an otherworldly success. Well, here, you know what? Here's what I'll say. It's going to sell more pay-per-views than Chris Cyborg boxing a 17 and 20, 39 year old woman. Oh, it's going to sell way more than that. Me, me boxing AK on a, on that. a random stream. will do better than Cyborg. <laughs> I, I, but, but you know, we need to question Kayla Harrison's ability to draw. That's, that's true. That's what Chris Cyborg's been doing. <laughs> really, I was wondering what this uh, this opponent was going to be. I was like, oh, maybe it's the Katie Taylor fight. It is Katie Taylor. It is not. And 
Maybe that's it's what we're so dumb. Going, I know. I know that the, I don't think the Katie Taylor fight happens stri- strictly from a size standpoint, right? Like, I don't. I think that Cyborg is simply too big, and Katie Taylor will not acquiesce, like accept a size that Cyborg could make and not die. Um, so I think that that is the blocker. But like this fight, this is a fight that I hope Chris Cyborg is very, very happy because this is a fight that is entirely for her. And that's okay. You should do the things that make you happy in your career and in your life. Firmly support that. God knows I do it way more than people would probably say I should. But nobody cares about this fight. It's not going to make her any money outside of whatever whoever's paying for it will give to her. And this doesn't build to anything. If she really wants to do boxing, it seems like she does. And it seems like she wants to do it more than just a dalliance. They could have done something better here. They could have let this be the build to something bigger. They, uh, what, is, what fight card is this on? Is this on the, like a her specific fight card? What? Cyborg's boxing the, match? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think she's the main event. Yeah. Okay. That's just eight levels of awful. Like, the, I just don't know who's in charge of Chris Cyborg's career because it feels like they're doing a bad job. Because I would just, I just you're just fighting on the, the next time Chris Paul fights. You're just boxing. It, then this fight on the undercard of that matters. People at least will be like, ooh, that's another thing, part of the Jake Paul thing. Then it can maybe build to something better. And it doesn't. Then it doesn't matter at all who you're boxing. But like, there's just nothing. There's no meat on this bone. Absolutely nothing for anyone to consume. Speaking of boxing and kind of funny, we had one of the best segments in the history of the show last week when talking about the Jake Paul, Hasim Rockman Jr. card, which is supposed to take place this past Saturday, getting fully canceled. And I haven't had a chance to talk to you in a public forum about this because a day after all of this, Asim Brockman set up a public way in. He set up a public way in, in Brooklyn at Gleason's gym. He streamed it all to, I'm going to weigh in. I'm going to weigh in. I'm going to show all you fools that I could have made weight and box Jake Paul and there's nothing to worry about at all. And what does he do, Jen? He weighs in at 206.6. He misses weight. But then the cherry on top of the Sunday, he celebrates it. Celebrates making 206.6 celebrates Jake Paul being a coward. He's the one that canceled the fight. I told y'all I was going to make it. There's nothing to worry about. Please, please wax poetically on all of this because this is just the best thing I've ever seen in my life. It made me so happy. I I love every every single thing about this. It is just chef's kiss beautiful. Like, I have a tremendous amount of respect for a man who lives entirely in his own reality and like, like really lives there. Like, is it's not a show. This is not something fabricated for the masses. You know, it's not an act put on to, to sell pay-per-views. It's just, he's created his own world and he lives in it because here's a little peek behind the curtain. Part of who I am certainly in a public facing way is, I, one of my favorite things maybe just in life is Chris Tucker just as a person and certainly Chris Tucker as a comedic actor in Money Talks and Rush Hour and those sorts of films where all he does is he just lives in his own reality 
and even when confronted by truth and facts and him being wrong, he just bulldozes right on over it, and it's just the best. And I've, in many ways, tried to emulate that in my life because I think it's a great way to go go through existence, frankly. <laughs> and I can recognize an, a fellow uh, Tuckerite in Hasim Rahman Jr. because I get all of it. I understand the inclination. I'm going to weigh in and show him. I'm going to weigh in and show him. But the fact that he knew before he weighed in that he wasn't going to make it and still chose to weigh in, didn't have to, cannot stress to you enough that this was not a mandated weigh-in. He could have weighed in behind the scenes, been like, oh, shit, I'm at 206. I need to do a towel grab or cheat the scale because again this is his own way and he could have done this is he could have doctored the scale he could have used a fake scale he could have done any number of things or just not going out there he's been like oh i tripped and broke my ankle i can't stand up like he could have just called it off there's nothing bad would have happened had he not weighed in and instead the man had the absolute temerity to go out there to still weigh in and as you said, celebrate it. And still is. Still tweeting about it. Still saying, this dude is the, the coward. It's the it's the stone cold best. I, I'm officially a Haseem Rockman Jr. fan because of this. And because I think it's incredibly funny that he still just, just had the gall to be like, I made weight. You very obviously didn't. In fact, you missed the extended weight because originally you were supposed to weigh at 200 pounds. We kicked it to 205, and you couldn't even make that. No, nah, I made it. No, you didn't. Nope. He's the guy who pulled it out. Like, it's awesome. It's one of the funniest things that's happened in combat sports this year. And I can only hope that more things like this happen in the future because people love it when Charles Oliveira says it, so why is it so bad when Steam Rockman Jr. says it? Everybody's all in on the, oh, Charles. I didn't, the scale screwed up. Well, Charles, nobody else screwed up the scale, just you. Nah, lightweight's champion, me, Charles Oliveira. And everybody seems to dig that. So what's wrong with the team? Rockman Jr. just pretending that he made weight. It's the best. It's the best. I love how they read out the weight and the person holding the camera is like, let's go, let's go. Your move, Jake, your move. I'm like, do you not understand that he missed weight by... Nope. Almost two pounds after all Look, of this. You manifest the reality you want to live in. And Hasim Rockman Jr. and his squad, they're manifesting a better world. Yeah. It's the best. It, uh, it was one of the best things that's happened in some time. I love it. This is the best way it could have gone. Like if he had made 205, it would not have been nearly as interesting as it would have been missing. so lame. <laughs> it would have been so lame. And then because it was just, oh man, I. I truly hope that one day I have uh, the gumption to do an entirely ceremonial and performative thing that has no real bearing <laughs> on life and then just still botch it but pretend like I didn't. Like that is that requires a level of nerve that I don't think I have right now. I'm going to go report that Patty Pimblett and Tony Ferguson are going to fight each other and then I'm just going to be wrong and then it's just I'm going to be like no, but I but I felt like it was the right thing to do. Like I feel like it could happen, so I'm not wrong. I'm not no, wrong. Just, it could happen. Just say that it's happening, like while Patty Pimblett is fighting somebody that's not Tony <laughs> Ferguson. 
Patty Pimblet's fighting whoever, and it's just like that fight with Tony Ferguson's really fun, isn't it? Look at them get after it. Oh yeah. Tony looks a little different out there than he normally does. But. Just go all into it. Uh, two last things I wanted to touch on. One, speaking of Patty Pimblet, um, his good friend Molly McCann is fighting at Madison Square That's Garden. Right. She's fighting Aaron Blanchfield. Jed, your thoughts on this piece of business? It's a really good fight. Um, it's a really interesting bit of matchmaking. I think Aaron Blanchfield's going to win it. Um, but I think Molly McCann, she's just on a three-fight win streak, something like that. Like she's, She deserves to start making a run uh, if she is going to do so uh, up the the flyweight contenders. And Blanchfield, you, you'd sort of more want her to be fighting up, but with kind of the way the division is right now, there's no clear, obvious choice for her moving forward just because a lot of people are booked. And McCann is like beating Molly McCann is going to be a bigger win than her beating. I, I don't know who Cynthia Calvillo or whatever. Like it's, it's just, a, it's a big win. So uh, I love the fight. Uh, I think Blanchfield's going to win, but really fun little scrap that matters. Yeah. Good fight. A lot of people feel like it's uh, going to be the halting of the train because Aaron Blanchfield is, is really, really good. good. But I, I'm telling, like, I think it's going to be a really good fight. Like, I think it's a close competitive fight. I really do. I don't think this is a Blanchfield's going to run her over type of fight that a lot I've seen from a lot of people. Watch the JJ Aldrich fight. That was, I mean, Aldrich won that first round, in my opinion. If she just kind of kept that same style. She could have won the fight, so maybe McCann's catch. She's not a bad fighter. Yeah, she's, she's not. She's not a bad fighter. She's, she's a much better fighter compared to her division than Patty Pimblett is at this point in time. 100%. But I think that Molly McCann, because because she is still probably a bigger star than she is, her stardom is still probably exceeds her actual ability, even if it's less so than that's the case for Patty. I think she still catches some flack in that regard, but. She's she's a solid fighter. I think I have her in my top fifteen. Yeah, like, Ariel Hawani, great colleague, great person, uh, is saying it. It appears as of right tremendous. now, tremendous from a tremendous website. Uh, it, it appears that it doesn't look like Patty's going to fight on this card. But you best believe Patty's going to be in the building. So oh. it's not like it's not like they're going to be totally away from each other. Patty will probably be in her corner. So his presence will be felt. Where, where is this card? MSG. The MSG. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to for sure be there. He's going to be fat and eating pizza. As he should. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. That's what you do in New York. You eat pizza. Absolutely. And, and you watch fist fights. Uh, last thing, I did want to get your opinion on this because I spoke with Rose Nama Yunus a couple of weeks ago, and she's not really thinking about fighting right now, but she basically said that come fall, She's going to start lifting some weights. She's going to put on some muscle. She's going to put on some size. And I asked her if that meant she was going to move to 125. And she said, you do the math, which basically says, I'm thinking at worst, because you don't want to put words in people's mouths, but it seems she's certainly not ruling out a move to 125 and being the the math is not putting words in her. Yeah. You do the math moving up. Yeah. She's probably moving up to 125. Uh, I asked her her thoughts on a fight with Valentina Shevchenko. She said they're friends. She said as a martial artist, it is something that fascinates her. I don't think it's anything the UFC would throw her in right away, but let's just say 
she gets a fight at 125. She gets a win. There's no doubt about it. The UFC is going to make that fight. Um, she has talked about her friendship with Valentina Shevchenko. She's thought of, she's talked about the respect she has for her, but she has to say, but she is saying pretty much like it is intriguing, but you got to pay us. Yeah, yeah. You got to pay us. She's trying to fight her. Yeah. You got to pay us some shekels if, if, to make it worth my while. So your thoughts on, are you intrigued? I'm intrigued by this 125 move. Really I'm weird. intrigued. What are your thoughts on it? It's, I get why she's doing it this way. It's really, really weird to be like, I'm moving up to 125, but if you want me to fight the champion, you're going to have to pay me. <laughs> kind of negotiating against herself in that regard because, like, why else would she be putting on weight? She didn't lose to Carlos Sparza because she wasn't big and strong enough. She lost because she didn't fight her. <laughs> she just refused to fight her ass. That's why she lost. She is... Strawweight has no her size has never been an issue. She's not a small strawweight. She's not a huge one, but she's not straw like small. And she isn't she never got physically overpowered in that weight class. So it's not like she's putting on weight for that. The only reason she'd be hitting the gym, getting big, you know, clanging and banging, is if she's trying to put on some weight to compete up 10 pounds, which frankly she probably doesn't need to, but if she wants to add a little bit. Uh, especially against some of the more physical fighters in that division, that will help her. Uh, I think that fight would be fun. It'd be really interesting, um, especially because like part of it is going to be what Rose looks like with ten pounds. Because frankly, right now I would pick Valentina Shevchenko to absolutely obliterate Rose Namajunas. Because on the feet, I don't think Rose can get too much going against Valentina's defense, and Valentina can just get double underhooks and hoss her to the ground because. She's an A plus superior athlete and incredibly physically strong, even at 125. And Rose is is not that. But maybe give Rose 10 more pounds. I, I want to see how she wears it. If if she if she is still as as fluid as she is on the feet with an extra 10 pounds of muscle, but maybe she hits even harder now. Uh, but she's also a little sturdier in those clinch exchanges. Like because that is clinch has been a, a relative weakness for Rose. Like, I mean, Kaylina Kovalkiewicz had success in the clinch against her all the way back. Uh, obviously, uh, Jessica Andrade picked her up and broke her neck um, that one time, and that was just from being in there. So, oh, we'll see uh, if the fight ever happens. Be really interested, but because it probably won't happen for over a year, so much can change in a year. So, I'm I'm tentative about having thoughts on it at this moment. Because we don't know what she's going to look like. We don't know if Valentina's still going to be at 120. We just don't know. But I like it long term. As do I. It was very, very interesting. So I think we have spoken long enough. I don't think I can speak anymore without coughing my face off. Yeah. So props, props to you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think that was the first one of the whole show. So uh, thank you, Jed. I appreciate this. Hopefully tomorrow, after a little more rest, uh, I will be camera ready for the preview show. I think that's the plan right now. I'm going to try to make it for the preview show. We will do heck of a morning, Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern. People's pre-fight show, post-fight show, and then some, because Jose is in San Diego getting San ready Diego. for uh, UFC San Diego. And hopefully I can return to my perch uh, on the matchmaking show on to the next one as well. So it's been a rough week, but I feel like I'm on the other side of it. And uh, I appreciate you. Lifting the heavy weights this week and uh, picking up my slack, Jed. I really appreciate it, my man. 
anytime. I'm always happy to step in and I had fun because I didn't haven't had a lot of chance to talk about some of the stuff that's going on. So it was great, great episode. Great to be here. Yes. Next week, hopefully we'll be able to do a little bit more back to the competitive side of, of BTL. But until then, everybody, I am Mike Heck. That is Jed Mishu. We'll see you back here once again next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.